All right. Welcome, everyone, to the first uh, episode, installment, whatever you want to call it, of the new Football Outsiders Friday show. Uh, Me and Kale are going to be co-hosting a new show. Uh, We're going to be going over most weeks. We're going to be going over the film from the last week, trying to understand how certain things happened, how maybe some upsets happened, what to look forward to in future matchups, um, specifically looking at scheme. Unfortunately, there's really no film to break down right now. We have one game and the film is not up. So what we're going to be doing uh, this week is just kind of previewing um, next week's games um, and just trying to see what what we might expect scheme-wise from some of these teams. So, um, yeah, I'm Derek Klassen. This is Kale Clinton, um, and this is uh, this is our new show. Um, before we, we actually get into anything, before we get into last night's game, um, I want to remind you guys um, to check out Underdog Fantasy. Are you tired of your season-long fantasy football leagues? Then try out Underdog, the fastest-growing company in fantasy sports. Use promo code OUTSIDERS to double your deposit up to $100 and play in best ball tournaments with $10 million in total prizes, including $2 million for first place for a fantasy team you don't even have to manage all season long. You can also check out um, our Pick'em product uh, for prop bet for prop betting markets, even in states where traditional sports books are not available yet. And that is promo code OUTSIDERS, O-U-T-S-I-D-E-R-S, for a free deposit up to $100 on underdogfantasy.com. Now, let's get into last night. Kale, it was a little bit of a slaughter from the Bills. I think even from, from the first drive. What do you think was the most interesting thing that you saw, really offensively or defensively, from what the Bills did, especially compared to maybe what they looked like last season? Offensively, we're starting out. It's it's real like it boils down so simply, but it's just Josh Allen. Like I I think there was a point midway through the third where the Bills and Rams both had an average depth of target under like I think the Bills were around like four point seven. Like it was bottom bottom twenty in total average depth of target uh, in terms of uh, what Next Gen Stats was putting out, but. It was a, like, I was so impressed with Allen's ability to just put it into really tight windows, really take that underneath stuff, something that we just really haven't seen. Like, quick developing Josh Allen, like, really quick passing game is something that we haven't seen from the Bills, from this iteration of the Bills at least, ever under Josh Allen. And it wasn't until, you know, the Savon Diggs touchdown that, like, they really start uncorking the vertical stuff. But seeing that develop for the first, you know, two and a half quarters was crazy because now it's like, now they can kind of do anything. Like, that's almost what I found kind of fascinating because, like you said, both quarterbacks did not really throw the ball down the field for most of the game, especially in the early parts, um, really until until Allen uncorked that deep touchdown, like you said. To me, at least, it kind of felt like the difference was this was the Bills really stepping into like a new I don't know, era, whatever. Like it felt like they leveled up their game. Like they could do something <clears throat> that they weren't able to do last year. And the Rams weren't necessarily making them do any of that. The Bills were kind of just choosing to play this slower game. They didn't feel like they needed to hit home runs. They knew they would get one eventually. And they did, you know, when Josh Allen finally was able to get outside of the pocket. To me, at least, on the other end, it felt like the Rams were kind of forced into taking a lot of the underneath stuff. It didn't feel like they even had the option um, to unlock any of the deep stuff. They didn't really have anybody who could really take the top off of the defense at all. Um, And their running game really couldn't get going. So kind of all they had was this dink and dunk 
passing game. And if you look at the way that the Bills were playing them, that's all they were giving them. They were kind of daring the Rams to do something else. The Bills, despite all of the pressure, despite Jordan Phillips crushing Matt Stafford on every other snap, despite Von Miller crushing Matt Stafford on every other snap, the Bills did not blitz a single time. They played a four-man rush the entire game. And I think on almost every snap, they also played in too high. They were playing this very safe top-down, come and beat us. And Stafford and the Rams really just had nothing for it. I mean, that's that's what this Bills front seven can afford you, right? Like, especially without having Tredavious White in the full, you know. I personally thought going into the game, like, oh, this, you know, the secondary might be a weak spot. This might be, you know, high scoring. And then you just watch four Bills blue jerseys in the backfield on every single play. Like, they're – like, the – pressure that they're giving Matt Stafford to get this ball out as quickly as he can. They couldn't afford to wait for things to develop. They couldn't afford for, you know, he, like Stafford trying to boot, like also this elbow stuff is getting really scary. Like this is, that seems that's, pretty that's real, a right? conversation, but it's, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting, I was worried coming into the season. This confirmed every, every fear that I had. Now, I, I remember it, early in the broadcast, they were like, yeah, he rehabbed like a pitcher, and then they told him not to throw for three months. I was like, huh, three months for an NFL quarterback? That seems really bad. That seems like not where you want to be uh, going into the season, especially with what I think is really actually going to change um, the entire Rams offensive scheme or is going to have to over the course of the season. That offensive line probably sucks. Um, and last year it didn't. They obviously had Whitworth, who was still really good. They even had Austin Corbett uh, at right guard, who was not fantastic, but is a hell of a lot better than what they put out there last night. And so much of what the Rams did last year was they kind of abandoned the McVay-Shanahan-like mold that they had gone to previously, where they were, you know, heavy under center, play action, you know, motion. They were trying to deceive you. Last year it was, nope, we're getting in the gun. We're going to throw the ball around the yard and drop back, and you're just going to have to – you're just going to have to get home. Um, and teams really couldn't with four. And then if you blitz Stafford, he was just so good at kind of seeing all that stuff that it was, you were kind of in this damned if you do, damned if you don't situation with trying to get home to the Rams. What we saw last night is, and granted, the Bills probably have a top five front, so they're not going to get pressured like this every single week. But I think we saw that teams are probably going to be able to get home with four against the Rams. And if teams can do that, on top of some of what might not look great with Stafford's elbow, I don't know how this team is going to have the drop back game that they had last year. And really, if you look at their offense last year, they didn't have anything outside of their drop back game. They couldn't run the ball and their play action wasn't very good. Yeah. I mean, they couldn't run the ball last year with like, you know, 40 year old Andrew Whitworth in the fold who was solid, who was, you know, admittedly solid for him, but you know, the downgrade from Whitworth to Joe Nopu, uh, Austin Gale had this on Twitter. Uh, Whitworth allowed 20 pressures in 18 games last year. Noteboom allowed eight pressures last night. Like, oh that's on on its own is nuts. But if anything, I'm almost surprised it was only eight. <laughs> having yeah, watched I it. mean, talk about commentator's curse. Just the one play that uh, Collinsworth mm-hmm. highlights in the broadcast. Like, look at Nope. Like, Nope, couldn't have the help. Like, you know, shaking off Von Miller. Next play, immediately Von Miller in the backfield on back-to-back plays. I mean, Next play, Von Miller just crushes his face mask in. And it's like, oh. Yeah. So that's how the game is actually going to go. Yeah, that was a rough showing. But on top of that, like, 
stepping aside from the pro- uh, problems in pass pro, I the Rams had a 29% success rate on one place. Like, that's bad. That's really bad. And, and you know, there's still personnel issues. You know, Kyron Williams now out up to six weeks of the high ankle sprain. The snap disparity between uh, Daryl Henderson and Cam Akers, you know, a, a lot of a lot of guys on milk cartons last night for the Rams. You know, <laughs> no Allen Robinson, no Cam Akers. Akers gets out snapped by Henderson. I think fifty-five to twelve. I mean, I know we're I know we're a game in. We're not even a week in yet. But I already have a lot of personnel question marks for the Rams right now. Yeah, and honestly, one of the other questions I had with the the Rams offense was. Last year, they didn't really have like a run game identity, but it didn't matter because they were the best passing game in, in football. So it just didn't matter. You kind of just had to run the ball for the sake of like, we can't throw the ball literally every play. If the passing offense is going to be worse, they really needed to find some sort of rushing identity. I don't know what theirs is because they clearly don't want to go back under center because that's going to change their entire passing game identity. Um, so they don't want to go back to all the, you know, uh, weak zone stuff that they did with Goff and Todd Gurley and all that stuff. But as a gun team, they don't do anything interesting. Like last year, if you watch, you know, uh, Washington, for example, they, they would play with like a wing all the time. They would run all this like Y insert. They would run like counter. Like they would do really cool stuff with their gun run game. The Rams don't really have that. They're, they're, they're kind of just basic. And again, kind of just running for the sake of running. If that's going to hold up, if that's going to continue this year, and especially like you mentioned with, with guys like Henderson and Akers not really looking like they're capable of being lead backs right now, I don't know what the floor for this offense it is. Like, it could get a lot worse than even it was last night. I mean, maybe Van Jefferson helps a mm-hmm. little bit there. I understand the loss there, and they were kind of working through platoon there. But, I mean, you can't have, you know, Ben Skoronek be your second wide receiver in targets. Like, it, it, alone, like, the sh- target share the Cooper Cup had, 15 of Stafford's 41. 13 of Stafford's 29 completions. Like, the the offensive identity is Cooper Cup right now. And if Stafford's arm is like this and the offensive line is like this and they're just forced to rely on these, you know, more quick-developing, short pass patterns, it's, it's going to be a long season for LA. Right, because they don't have guys who do that. Like, that's not really what Allen Robinson does. I mean, granted, it doesn't seem like Allen Robinson does much of anything right now. But he's definitely not a guy you, you really want in the quick game. Ben Skoranek, I said this before the show, he feels like a joke that has kind of gone too far where they were like, what if we got a guy who's like Cooper Cup, who looks like Cooper Cup, and now he has to start for them, and they're like, oh, God. Um, and then none of their other receivers really offer that. And really, truthfully, none of their tight ends are that either. Like, even Tyler Higby is really a guy you kind of just want to either get the ball on, on screen so he can use his athleticism or on, like, deep overs and stuff. He's not – you know, the old man, Jason Witten, where he can catch all these button passes and stuff. Like, they have no it, – it's really hard to see how the offense is supposed to gel together, I guess, is uh, I guess is the way to put it. And, you know, maybe maybe the Rams are just treating this as, as their preseason. Um, but until I think we see them play more, um, this is going to be a problem. I, I feel like we've hit on, on this game enough. Was there any, you know, parting, parting notes you had for, for either side of, of the ball on this one? Just a quick note on the uh, on the defense because I think also a uh, you know if that if this defense you know it looks like it's not quite up to snuff that the stars and scrubs model 
hasn't quite panned out because now, you know, you expect a star like Bobby Wagner to come in, like fill that role. It's, you know, they haven't addressed linebacker in a long time. Bobby Wagner was not able to really fill that mic role properly. And on he top of that, unbelievably slow to me. Like I, I haven't seen age show like that in a long time. And I think like, I forget where someone mentioned it, but that all pro nom last year, I didn't watch a ton of Bobby Wagner, but that all that second team all pro nom he got is must basically just be off of name recognition. It's because nobody knows linebackers and everybody knows Bobby Wagner. <laughs> exactly. On top of that, the secondary is looking rough. I like the I'm just looking at that uh the the dots from the Stefan Diggs touchdown. I had originally posted it in our uh in the F uh the FO Discord for the Audibles live. I were talking through people. I had posted the Ram, uh the Diggs and Ramsey dots in that chat saying that Ramsey got cooked. Maddie Brown points out on Twitter, I I think it was just a mix-up in, like, cover four. Ramsey thought he had help on the backside, kind of lets up, realizes he doesn't. You don't want Ramsey in cover four at all. Like, you're bringing Ramsey in to be the one playing man. But now I just don't think that they have – they don't have the safety help to – they don't have the safety skill set, period, to kind of – manage that out. They don't have the quarterback stuff to run. They don't have the quarterback personnel to run man underneath it. It's... And they don't have the pass rushers. I mean, they have Aaron Donald, obviously. Yeah, Donald, yeah. But um, Floyd and Hollins, I I can't remember who tweeted this. It might have also been Austin Gale again. But they did not generate a single pressure between those two. Um, And I think we all knew Floyd benefited from having Von Miller from the other side. But he was still a solid player in his own right last year. But when the other guy is now Justin Hollins, who was like, like their fourth guy last year, that's a really bad spot to be in. And I think we saw um, if they're not able to generate pressure against what is like a fine Bills offensive line, like they're not great. They're fine. And if they can't generate pressure against those guys, I don't know what they're going to do when, when they really have to win games come you know December, January. I, I'm, I picked them. I thought this was going to be a great, you know, the the, uh, the FL writers predictions come out. We're doing Super Bowl stuff. Oh, this is a perfect bookend. You know, we're starting the season Bills Rams. I think we might end the season Bills Rams. If this is the you know overreactions in Week One, yeah. But if this is the Rams team we see the rest of the way, I don't know if they make the playoffs. This is a bad. This is a bad situation. Their only hope is that the rest of the division is also like <laughs> kind of shaky. Uh, that's really their only their only bet here. Um, but I think enough about week one or uh, about the first game. I think, you know, we, we pronounced the Rams dead for now. Um, let's move on to some of, some of the bigger games this week. So I think we're not going to hit on every game. Obviously we can't hit on, on, you know, the rest of the 15 games, but let's at least hit on some of the the primetime games. And the first of which is going to be Sunday night, which is Tampa Bay Buccaneers going to Dallas. My biggest question about this game is the Dallas Cowboys receivers and what this offense is supposed to look like. Even I even have this question what it's going to look like with Michael Gallup, but Michael Gallup is probably not going to play in this game. He's still nursing a bit of an injury. I know he was in pads um, in practice recently, but it still is probably more likely that he's not going to play in this game. So to me, I'm just curious how they're supposed to fit this offensive personnel together, because I do think C.D. Lamb is a borderline star receiver. He can play in the slot. He can play outside. Um but I just don't know how they fit the rest of these guys around them because they did draft rookie Jalen Tolbert. 
he's pretty much just an X who you're going to have run vertical routes. And that's really all he's got in his bag. And then after that, it's kind of just like Noah Brown, who has a little bit been inside and out for them. He kind of blocks, but that's it. I just don't understand where this offense is is supposed to align these receivers to get everybody open because it seems like no matter what they do, teams are just going to be able to have an answer to get two guys on CD. Yeah, it. there's no real threat anywhere else on this wide receiver depth chart, which is also very shallow. I, I mean, you lose Amari Cooper and all of a sudden everything feels like it's, you know, there's a thing where everyone, you know, moves back up a rung now because you have your number one guy out. But And they lost Cedric Wilson, who – not great, but that also hurts the depth. No, necessary. Yeah, like an absolutely huge part of just keeping this core intact. Gallup out, which I, I'm – I don't know how he comes back that soon. Like like Ed Warder reported yeah. that he's in full pads doing practice this week and like getting in individuals. I Regardless, I don't know how he makes a comeback that quickly. That is – and that I don't know what he seems like, like Dallas realizing – it, that to me seems like Dallas realizing, like, if he's not out there, we have major issues. <laughs> and they're just trying to get him back out there by any means, which that sounds like he might get hurt again if, if they do something like that, which obviously you don't want for, for anybody. Yeah, and, and my biggest my biggest thing in this game, not to, you know, immediately return back to the Rams conversation, but my biggest thing in this game is both the offensive lines. On Dallas's side, massive, massive turnover. Losing Lyle Collins and Connor Williams in the offseason. Losing Tyron Smith to injury. You know, they're making some adjustments here. This time Jason Peterson, Brax, uh, Brax, Tyler Smith, now kind of gets thrust into the opportunity. Uh, but that's a lot of turnover to deal with. And I, I know I know Tampa Bay's front seven's lost some pieces, so maybe it's not as aggressive of a pass rush in the front seven for this game in particular. But I really worry about Dallas's ability to get the ball out quickly and allow plays for the belt. On the flip side, the entire MO around Brady's game is, you know, you screw Brady up by getting interior pressure. You get pressure up the middle. And the biggest gaping hole in this Bucks roster right now is the middle. You lose Ali Marpet to retirement. You lose Ryan Jensen to a season-ending injury. You know, you get Shaq Mason in the mix, it's great, but – it's still a big area of concern. I, I I think just, you know, not even just the trenches, the middle of the trenches is going to be the biggest issue for uh, both these teams. I think it's going to be – it, it might lead to some chaos early, especially because <laughs> it's week one. But uh, I'm just excited to see how it plays out, especially on Dallas's end, because Dallas's offense just feels like it's just been kneecapped compared to what it was last year, you know, between offensive line turnover – and also, if you're going to start relying more on the running backs, like you need that level of protection. Like Ezekiel Elliott runs, you know, any, any running back does, but Ezekiel Elliott, especially like when he has time for things to develop and holes to open up, like that's when he's running better. Like the only way this t- offense is going to have success is with like just league average offensive line play. Like that's really all you need. And it doesn't, you know, with this much turnover, I don't know if they get there. I, I really don't either. Um, I, I think it's going to be tricky. I'm At least for Dallas's offense, I, I feel like, at least in this game, their answer has to be Tony Pollard, right? Because at least as things kind of stand now, CD is probably their only big play threat. And if we assume that he's, you know, obviously their only good receiver uh, that's going to be playing in this game, 
the Bucks are not going to have issues, you know, getting bodies on him. They're going to have to rely on Pollard um, in the passing game. I just don't. I just don't know how they're going to do that. I don't know if they want to go into just having Pollard as the only back on the field more, or if they want to go to maybe more empty, um, you know, split both of their running backs out. I don't know if they want to do more two back stuff, which would be kind of foreign to them. I don't think they did that much of it last year, even though um, they, they obviously both of those running backs are really good. I think maybe they just don't know what they want to do with both of those guys, which actually is kind of a shame to me because I think one of the huge values of playing like split back or two back um, is pass protection. You, you obviously like if you're playing in split back gun, you can really help your tackles out, which like you mentioned with, with, with this offensive line, they're probably going to need a little bit of help. And it would be really nice if they could squeeze through the interior a little bit and then get help on the edges. And both Zeke and, and Pollard are, are pretty good pass protectors. Zeke, maybe the best in the league. And Pollard is I better than I realized last year. I, I think honestly, like he, he really, I think kind of came into his own in that regard. Um, so I think that is really going to have to be their way of getting explosive. This game is just finding ways to get Pollard the ball, because I just don't know who else on this offense, if they have the ball in their hands can create an explosive. And luckily for them, the bucks really bad against defending, um, against running back passes last year. I think they allowed the fourth most, um, targets to running backs last year. And I think we're like 22nd or 23rd in DVOA. So that might be their edge, but it just kind of like I think we both mentioned, it seems like the rest of it is a little too incomplete. Yeah. And on top of that, you know, going back to the split back thing, one of the biggest things that that does is just it makes a defense think like, all right, what is my responsibility in this? It changes up things for the defense. You know, having that extra guy in there, there's now new responsibilities, especially in coverage. Like if you're going to try and at least manufacture open guys, especially with the turnover that the Bucks have had in the secondary, you know, losing a guy, uh, God, now I'm blanking on the name. Uh, went to the Jets. Whitehead? Uh, yeah, Jordan Whitehead. Losing a leader like Jordan Whitehead in the secondary, I, I, I'm excited to see how they kind of cover that up, but not cover that up, but replace him. But, you know, a great test of that would be like, all right, now we're just running split back. Now you've got to like, you know, whoever's wearing the green dot, now you've got to really assess coverages. Now you've got to really like, make sure everyone's there because if you've got as depleted of a skill position group as they have right now, and you're kind of just looking to create opportunity, that might be the best way to do it at this point. Cause you're getting, you know, CD lamb, you know, even in double coverage, I think, you know, has a chance to get open on his own. He's, you know, I don't think he's in that same tier as like, say, a, you know, a Justin Jefferson in terms of like the really right. elite young wide receivers, but he's up there, you know, He's definitely, you know, in that, you know, second or third tier. But for, you know, to get a Jalen Tolbert open, to create situations for a Noah Brown, like that's how you're going to do it. You're going to have to try and find a way to, like, get the defense off their P's and Q's. You're going to have to just throw a little bit of a wrench in things. 100%. Um, I kind of have some questions about the Bucs receiver core too. Granted, they have a, a different issue where they're actually – they have too many good receivers <laughs> where I'm just curious, you know, to kind of see – how the snaps shake out for them? Because obviously they have um, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, who are both still fantastic players. Um, they signed Russell Gage this offseason and also signed Julio Jones. What is most interesting to me is which of Jones or Gage they favor, um, because I, I doubt they're going to go very much 10 personnel. Nobody does it if you don't live in Arizona. Um, it's just not how the NFL works. Um, Those are doing a little bit. What? 
And so the Bills are yeah, still the, the the last night. That's true. The Bills, I guess when you have a cheat code at quarterback, that does change the math a little bit. You can get away <laughs> with uh, cheating your protection rules um, and numbers a little bit. Um, unfortunately, you know, Brady is a cyborg in a lot of ways. He is not an athletic cyborg anymore. He doesn't really move like that. Never really did, I guess. <laughs> um, so so they're, they're probably going to lean on, a, I think, more 11 personnel. What's interesting to me is, Gage is obviously a, a slot receiver. I think that's what he does. He's a guy who you kind of want to get him up the seams um, and use him that way, which would obviously, you know, Mike Evans is going to be an X no matter what, but that would probably push Godwin to more of an outside role where I think Godwin is really at his best when he's in the slot, tight to the formation. You can threaten him to be a blocker, um, make him, you know, block downhill on duo stuff, really make him um, a, a really interesting piece on play action, kind of like what, you know, the, the Bills did on on the, their first touchdown, I think, to Gabe Davis, where he looks like he's blocking, and then all of a sudden he's, he's 30 yards down the field for a touchdown. Um, and so the difference is, like, if you put Julio on the field, I think Julio is, is more of a guy who they can move around a little bit, but is more of an outside player. He's not probably going to want to be inside blocking very much, which naturally would allow Godwin to play in the slot, which, to me, that seems like the better way to go if Julio Jones still has juice. And I kind of still think he does because he was not bad in Tennessee last year. He just was hurt like for half a season. And so I think if they can get him healthy, that's going to be a good pairing. So I'm kind of just interested to see um, if they feel more comfortable with Godwin getting pushed out to the slot in favor or pushed outside um, in favor of gauging the slot. Or if they're just like, no, Godwin needs to be in the slot to kind of unlock our running game. Yeah, I'm honest. I, I'm really curious about Julio because, you know, he wasn't terrible in Tennessee, you know, dealing with a lot of injuries, but also anecdotally, it was it was oil and water with Mike Vrabel. Yeah. Like like Jones just doesn't practice. And, and, and Mike <laughs> and Vrabel just feels like, you know, he is the guy that is constantly, you know, trying to get those reps in, you know, very football guy. Now you go down to Tampa where like Brady's missing off training camp and it's you know pretty lax down there it's florida but you know i may like i'm curious to see what they can get out of julio especially in a less prominent role you know still very much getting the reps but when it's you know aj brown then julio jones you know you're a prime target now it's evans godwin you want to throw cameron brayton there you know maybe you want to worry about leonard Fournette a bit like now you've got more pieces involved now you've got more things to worry about Maybe that opens up stuff for Julio Jones. Russell Gage I like as a player, and I think it's a good addition that they made in the offseason. That being said, I do think at this point it's a bit more of a security blanket for Tampa Bay just because of what they went through last year. Just because, like, all right, we – like, that's a Super Bowl team if Godwin doesn't get hurt and the rest of the depth chart is just, you know, Mike Evans and some Jags. Like just you know, Scotty Miller and uh, I forget their rookie Ty- or uh, Tyler uh, Tyler Johnson. Who Tyler they, Johnson. they cut now, but but now exactly. it's because they have signed a bunch of other receivers and they're simply too good. Exactly. Yeah. So I think it's you know it's a good opportunity. It's a good placeholder for now. But even like even Godwin's starting to practice. The the recovery time on these former career defining injuries has been nuts to me. I, I can't get over it. Yeah, so I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think I think the security point is a really good one with the Bucks because I think really if anybody but Evans probably goes down, they have an answer. And even then, like 
if Julio can get back to form a little bit, he can probably just play the X, <laughs> like if they really need him to. So I think really no matter what, unless unless three of them go down, um, they probably have an answer. Um, but let's move on to everyone's everyone's I think most anticipated revenge game um, of the season, which or I was going to say of the week, but actually maybe of the season, truthfully, which is uh, the Denver Broncos and Russell Wilson going to Seattle, um, which actually I think it's even better that this game is in Seattle as opposed to in Denver. Um, but I don't know. I think there's a lot of really interesting angles here. I think what's what's most interesting to me is <clears throat> Russell Wilson really doesn't like two high coverages. And, and granted, no, no quarterback does. I think we saw last year, you know, Allen was super inconsistent against a lot of them for um, – for most of the year kind of until down the stretch when really part of why they got better against two high coverages was the, the Bills offense got a lot more under center and just started changing what they were doing. Um, and then I think we saw some of the same thing from Kansas City. We, we saw Mahomes having to adjust to that. Um, and he did. Russ just didn't. And, and I think part of that is obviously um, the finger stuff. You know, that, that kind of hurt him and hurt what he was able to do in the season. But Russ was really one of the least efficient quarterbacks in the NFL against two high coverages. And despite what we all believe Pete Carroll to be the, the cover three God um, and that he is, they, the Seahawks really weren't that kind of defense last year. They ran um, the most, they were targeted the most on cover two, cover four and cover six among any team in the league last year. It was more than Philly, more than the Texans, more than the Colts. All those other teams were like, Oh, they run a ton of too high. It was, it was Seattle that, that was actually leading um, that charge, which nobody really thinks that that's what they do, but it is. And so, I'm just really curious to see if Russ has uh, changed his stripes or or if this is going to be something that, like, the only way this offense is going to function is if they can run the Seahawks out of two high looks. I, I'm, I'm so curious what Denver's going to do. It, like, just, just the entire situation. You know, mm-hmm. last year, like, two of Russ's biggest demands before the trade – uh, or before, you know, rescinding his trade request before the actual trade, you know, that little thing where, you know, Russ was placated by getting uh, Gabe Jackson for a fifth. Uh, and then also wanted, you know, wanted Pete Cow to get Shane Waldron in the building to run the offense. Shane Waldron brings in the Rams offense, is, you know, very reliant on like, you know, very e- intermediate passing. And then Russ just doesn't. Russell's like, I don't want to do any of that ever. <laughs> it's yeah. like, well, then why'd you hire this guy? <laughs> yeah. It, it, it makes absolutely zero sense. So now that, you know, Nathaniel Hackett's talking like, all right, yeah, we're going to, you know, build the entire offense around Russ. I don't know what that looks like. He's, he's brought up a lot of like, you know, just kind of vague tempo stuff. And beyond that, like, I really don't have a sense of what this is going to be. I think that's the thing is like, are we – going to get what Russ wants the offense to be or what the Russ offense ultimately always becomes. Um, Because I think obviously what Russ wants to be is he is a let Russ cook guy. Like he wants to be in gun. He wants to have things spread out. He wants to kind of go willy nilly and just, and, and just like chuck it around the yard, which five years ago, sure. That Russell Wilson was the best at that. We didn't even have Mahomes at the time. He was the Mahomes at the time in that regard. Now that he's kind of older, I just don't know if he has that kind of juice. And we've seen, like, last year the Seahawks were really bad when they went to empty. Because, one, I think Russell Wilson just doesn't have, you know, the athleticism that he used to to kind of make some of those scramble plays. He'll still do it from time to time, but it's not the, like, we know this is part of our offense. 
he's also just not a good quick game passer. Like that's just never what he's been. Even when he was an MVP level type of player, that's just not what he was. He wasn't throwing quick outs and quick slants and, and drag routes and all that stuff. He was waiting for the moon balls. He was waiting for deep crossers. And so to me, if you're going to throw those kinds of routes, you kind of have to get under center. You kind of have to run the ball and generate these play action where you're you're getting these tight splits to run those tight overs, to run those tight posts, um, to run those corner routes. Like that's the type of stuff Russ wants to throw, but he like is he like fights the fact that to do that you have to get under center and run the ball. It, it's a really weird dichotomy of like how he thinks about this. And so yeah, I'm just kind of curious to see how they're going to make this this work for Russ and I'm I'm really honestly not expecting it to work for the first couple of months of the season but you just hope that by the end they, they kind of figure stuff out yeah I mean they had the offensive personnel they have around is almost too good like it's it's too big to it's fail too good it. to not be like some level of productive even if it's clunky exactly yeah and, and listen first year head coach Russ in a new system for the first time in almost a decade. Like it'll take time to get there, but <clears throat> excuse me. The it'll, you know, I, I'm excited to see where it gets. Honestly, where I'm more where I just more have morbid curiosity. How big of a drop-off is current Russell Wilson to Geno Smith? Because <laughs> I understand the limitation, but I also understand what. Seattle's kind of wanted to run pretty predominantly over the last, you know, two, three years. I think, you know, despite the, which by the way, I've never seen a more coordinated blitz between, you know, Carol, the GM and ownership, all releasing statements during Russell Wilson's conference, uh, introductory conference to Denver. Now this week, Tyler Lockett's talking about how the 12s should cheer them on. Carol gets asked the same question. He's like, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll leave that up to them. Like, it, you know, it, there's some legitimate <laughs> animosity there. But also, no one knows, you know, Russ better than Carol at this point. And I think, you know, that's the reason why we've had these weird ebbs and flows in the offense. We've had the let Russ cook into just this complete 180 uh, between, you know, the the bashing of heads between uh, Carol and Brian Schottenheimer. I just want to see what they have Gino do. And it especially affects DK Mecca because I don't think Gino has, you know, Russ, Russ, you know, despite his aging, still can throw the moon ball. Like, can still hit that shot. Absolutely. You know, his efficiency numbers, like, as a scrambler have gone down. Like, overall as a passer, he's taking a bit of a dip. But, like, he can really still hit that. And I just want to know what Metcalf's route tree looks like with Gino under center because like Metcalf signed the extension this offseason. He he's now, you know, acquired the bag. He's locked into Seattle for the long term. You know, I don't I don't know if Smith has the arm to like, you know, run the only, you know, hit Metcalf on the only route he knows how to run, which is, you know, the go route. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really think we're gonna see more of uh the Garoppolo esque type of offense here i think because you know it's funny that you know you mentioned this earlier like russ brought in waldron to do a lot of the intermediate stuff and then immediately realized he doesn't actually want to throw any of those routes gino will throw him man sometimes to his detriment um because he can he can be a little uh overzealous at times i guess is the way to put it 
Um, but I think you kind of need to if you're going to run this, you know, under center. We're throwing all these glance routes, digs, that sort of stuff. And I think Metcalf can do enough of that. You know, he, he's a, a huge target. And I think Smith, despite some of his decision-making at times, is actually fairly accurate when he does get to the right target. And so I think that's kind of the the structure of the offense that we're going to see. And I think it's what Carroll has wanted to do all along. Because I think if you look at the types of running backs that they've drafted, the amount of capital they've put at running back between Penny and Walker now, um, I think they really want to be this, like, we're going to run the ball at you, and then we're going to throw over the top of your head. I don't know what that's going to look like over the course of the season. Obviously, even if they do get better at that than they were with the Russ offense, obviously Russ did so many other things for the offense that it's not going to be close to as good. But I do think in this game, it could kind of work because if there's one spot where I think this Denver, really this Denver roster as a whole is not good, it's at linebacker. Um, those guys, <laughs> they got, I think, protected by, by Fangio's scheme a lot last year. I think the safeties and, and uh, defensive front really did a lot for the linebackers. They're changing things up a little bit, so I'm curious to see how that's supposed to go. But like, I think these are linebackers that are consistently not always in the right spot, I think particularly against play action, and I don't think they're all that athletic. And really the only athlete they had at the position was Baron Browning, and they moved into the edge, which, I mean, might work and give them, you know, some some surplus value in other ways, but, like, it hurts what I think they're going to have at linebackers. So if, this, if Seattle's going to turn into this, we're going to run the ball at you, play action, throw over the middle with DK Metcalf, like, this is kind of the team to test if this can actually be viable for them. Yeah, I, I'm excited to see what they do behind this offensive line, too. I mean, Charles Cross looked, you know, saw in the preseason. I'm excited to see, you know, how that continues to develop. And also, I realized, I think I said Dwayne Brown before. It was Gabe Jackson for a fifth, not Dwayne Brown. Mm-hmm. Russ, Russ's entire career in Seattle, is his trade request was placated by getting Gabe Jackson. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I – Rashad Benny, you know – his come on at the end of last season was really strong, you know, ended on a really high note. I can understand why Seattle wants to go to the run first model, but I also don't get why any defense wouldn't just say, yeah, try me. Like we'll stack, you know, maybe stack eight in the box. It's, you know, it's DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, but it's also Geno Smith. Who, right. <laughs> Geno Smith a great in the preseason. I don't know how threatening is going to be through an 18 week regular season. hundred percent. Um, Last thing I will say on this game is uh, Todd Singer in, in the comments mentioned Russ did throw a famous quick slant in the Super Bowl. That's what happens when he has to be a quick game passer. So we'll see how it goes in Denver. <laughs> um, moving on to um, uh, well, actually we're done with the primetime games. That that Denver game is supposed to be the Monday Nighter. Another matchup I thought was supposed to be really interesting, at least thematically, is New England at Miami. Um, and obviously the the big one is. What the hell is this offense supposed to look like? Because I think there are like four different angles where this makes no sense. They obviously brought in Mike McDaniel, who is tried and true Shanahan guy. Um, he, I believe, was their run game coordinator last year. Um, obviously, that offense, they want to run the ball. They want to do a lot of play action. They want to have big, tough receivers who can block and get yards after the catch. Well, <laughs> Miami's offensive line is still very bad. So I think running the ball is going to be tricky. Um, and while Tyree Kill and, and Jalen Waddle are both phenomenal receivers, particularly after the catch, I mean, their speed is incredible. 
those aren't big guys who are going to help them in in the blocking game. I do think Waddle has, you know, a little bit of that dog in him, but like he's still kind of he's like a 190 pound dude at the end of the day. Like this is not going to be what he does. Well, and then you also have the two of it all. Like, is this really like if you graduate him to more of a Shanahan offense where, where he does have to make a little bit more legitimate throws, especially over the middle of the field, as opposed to just a lot of the RPO BS he kind of got away with last year? Is that something he can handle? I'm really not sure it is, especially when you consider the fact that like those offenses, in a lot of cases, you're probably going to have to hold the ball a little bit more. Tua is a guy to me that feels like the longer he holds the ball, the more prone he is to something going wrong. Like whether that's him making a poor read, whether that's uh, him getting antsy in the pocket, just something going wrong. And that's why I think he was so good at the RPOs is he's incredibly accurate and it just let him get rid of the ball. I'm just really curious to see how much of maybe they keep some of that RPO stuff or how much, you know, Tua just kind of has to grow up and play in more of a legitimate offense. Yeah. I mean, speaking of growing up, I, it's crazy. We haven't seen, I, I understand injury, but like, it's crazy. We just haven't seen a full season of Tua yet. Like just a full yeah. 16, 17 games of him. it. You know, it's in year three. I feel like it would have gotten there at this point. I'm excited for the system. Just, I'm excited for what McDaniel brings to the table just because I like all the pieces. Like it, like it feels yeah. like you're just like you're, uh, you know, you're doing like the Madden custom drafts where it's like, oh, like I've got the playbook in. And it's like, oh, I've got all these fun pieces. Like, it's kind of like you mentioned with Denver. Like even if it's clunky, they are simply too talented for this to not be some kind of good. I know. And all the skill sets outside of Mike Kosicki, who's just good on his own but doesn't quite seem to fit in this system, the trade rumors seem right. to, you know, pick it up soon a bit there. But the rest of it between, you know, Tyreek and Jalen Waddle, you know, you look at the running backs, Chase Edmonds, Raheem Mostert. Like, these are guys that are able to create a ton of space. If you're going to build the whole yak system around, you know, you're going to build the entire offense based on yards after the catch and getting guys into open space. I'm interested to see how that kind of just shakes out for two. Like, like you said, just waiting for things to develop you know, being forced to make those tougher throws. It's going to be really interesting to see. I also, you know, you talk about like the RPO heavy kind of like training wheel offense that two has been in the last two years. Like how much is McDaniel going to let him uncork it? Like the the sample size is small, but the efficiency numbers deep are there. It, he's a solid deep throw. He's not fantastic, but he's solid. Like are we going to see that more? Like are we going to see that more? What's it going to look like? My real questions for this team is just, you know, at least we have an idea of what Miami's scheme is going to look like. I have no idea what New England's going to try out there. I don't have a clue. Yeah, I. they kept saying they were going to do all this Ram stuff, but, like, they don't – they didn't hire anybody who was from those systems. So I don't know how they figured that's supposed to make any sense. And now they have a defensive – a former defensive coordinator supposedly running the offense. None of it makes any sense to me. And, like, truthfully, I don't even think they have the personnel to run this kind of offense. Like, you know, Mac Jones, I think, fits the profile for that kind of quarterback. Um, And I think, like, they probably need more uh, speed at receivers to really unlock this kind of offense. But, like, maybe Tyquan Thornton gives them something eventually. But from an offensive line perspective, they feel more of like a, we want a gap scheme. We want to punch you in the face. We want to run downhill. We want Ramondre Stevenson and, and Damian Harris to just go forward because that's what they're best at. 
if they're going to lean into more of like this outside zone-ish scheme, I don't understand how that fits their running backs or their offensive line. And I think there, I think I even saw some headline today that they were like, the Patriots might abandon this offensive scheme. Well, shoot, they probably should. <laughs> you also probably shouldn't have spent the last three months trying to bring in a new one. Exactly. I don't, like, it, the way I'd always seen it is kind of more, you know, San Francisco than L.A. But even with mm-hmm. that, like, you know, the guy who I thought would be the biggest, you know, kind of do-it-all gadget guy is Kendrick Bourne. And he's been, apparently been in the doghouse all summer. And we just yeah, haven't they, seen him. He's like down head. the depth chart somehow. It makes no yeah. sense. I, with what they're working with right now in terms of, you know, Devontae Parker, Nelson Aguilar, and Jacoby Meyer, I just don't know what they're going to try out there. I, I, you know, in writing the Patriots chapter, I was the just total enigma of this offense almost offered up more optimism than anything in the sense that it's like, oh, you know, if this is just a blank slate, I can see how everyone's got a role. Devontae Parker's contested mm-hmm. catch. Nelson Aguilar's downfield. Jacoby Myers over the middle. Kendrick Bourne's gadget guy. Even still, like, a lot of guys are wearing a lot of hats here. Most yeah. likely hats they probably shouldn't be wearing. Like, I just – this is this is where, you know, you, you start really getting, like, the football itch. Because all we've been doing off, all offseason is speculating, and I'm f- so ready to see this team – just to have any film on them, just to have any idea of what they're going to put out on this field. It's also so confusing to me that they thought they needed to do this because I felt like structurally their offense last year actually made so much sense for everyone involved. And it looked good at times. You could just tell that like they just didn't have the, the speed at receiver to really uncork the ball down the field. And I think it did take Mac Jones some time to even want to do any of that. But like, I think if we if we talked about the Patriots offense like before the draft, before the offseason, we all we would have said was like get speed at receiver, keep doing what you were doing, and this can be probably a good offense. They did add some speed at receiver with Tyquan Thornton, but it's like if they're gonna go to this entirely different scheme, I don't know what it's supposed to do. I guess the best you could say is like maybe they just fall back on what they did last year and try to run a McDaniels light type of system. Um, which honestly makes way more sense to me because like Patricia is familiar with with what uh, McDaniels had ran. Belichick is obviously extremely familiar with what McDaniels had ran. You would think it would make more sense that they could patch that offense together as opposed to an offense that they've never run before. I, I don't know. Like, it just doesn't really make a- any sense um, from any angle for what they're doing. But I guess, you know, kind of like you said, at, at there is some optimism that this is kind of a blank slate. And like, at worst, they could kind of just do what they did last year. And you just hope that it would be the same. And last year's offense, you know, personnel-wise wasn't. But what they were able to – what they actually showed on the field was, like, relatively varied. Like, you you can kind of break up the New England season kind of three acts where it's, like, you know, very heavy sets early on. Like, a lot of power running. Like, a lot of involvement of the tight ends. Then they start really spreading it out uh, midway through the season, you know. Jacoby Myers running a ton of, you know, deep routes alongside Nelson Aguilar. The only issue is as you see that start to develop, you know, Mac Jones just didn't have the arm for it. And, and you'd start to see either Meyer or Aguilar start curling back on these vertical routes. That just eliminates all the act opportunity. That creates these more contested catches. 
and it's why, you know, if you're running that scheme, it's why the Defonte Parker pickup makes sense because mm. he's the contested catch guy. Like, that's kind of his whole MO. And even, you know, Jones has been, like, just from videos I've seen from camp and stuff, it's, you know, it's not quite the two and on Miami clips, but it's, you know, Jones is <laughs> working on his deep ball. Like, it, it looks solid from, you know, the Zapruder level vantage point we're getting of, like, the practice field two fields away. But, like, the deep ball looks better. It, it looks like you're actually hitting receivers in stride from what you're seeing. Like, if you just hold it together, it works. Like, if you just, you know, <laughs> Stay here as long as you can. Don't don't start changing for the sake of changing. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think we're we're pretty much in lockstep there. The, the last question I had about this game is, what are the Patriots corners supposed to do? Like, obviously losing Jason when they had last year when they had J.C. Jackson, uh, obviously, and, and Jonathan Jones, obviously, just run a ton of man. Like that's what those guys do. Now all they really have is Jonathan Jones as a man coverage guy. And all their other corners, like Jalen Mills, Miles Bryant, like these to me are zone players who want to play top down and come and tackle. But that's not really what Jonathan Jones wants to do. Um, so I just don't understand like what their coverage specialty is supposed to look like. It's also entirely possible that Belichick just doesn't have one. And I think he's obviously brilliant enough to, to keep it varied enough that they don't have to lean on, on any one coverage. But I'm just really curious to like, are they maybe just going to gamble on man coverage and let Jonathan Jones, you know, maybe follow some of the best corners? Are they going to get into more, maybe just cover two, kind of like they did a lot against the Browns last year, where they're just kind of daring you to hit those hole shots, and then they're just going to come up and tackle um, on a lot of your short passes. So I'm just really curious to see what they're going to do, because I, I don't know. To, to me, I really do think they at least have the safeties to do a lot of that play top down, come and tackle type of stuff, but it's just if that's all they're going to be able to do, I don't think they really have the front to really be able to just get away with being like that. So I think they kind of have or are going to have to play this weird smorgasbord type of defense. Yeah, that's another that's another really big point. Just they don't they don't have the guys to run the man offense they've always or the man defense they've always right. relied on. Just because you look at you know what, the last decade of Patriots cornerbacks at this point, you fold so seamlessly into, you know, Darrell Reeves into Aqib Tlaib, into Stephon Gilmore, into J.C. Jackson. And All now you just want to punch you at the line of scrimmage and, and yeah. they're just going to, yeah. <laughs> it, it, exactly. It, now it's, you know, now the three best players in the secondary are all safeties. And one of them is like 35 years old. That's uh, a, that's a great point. Actually, yeah. Is that all their best guys are safeties uh, between McCordy, Duggar, um, and uh, Agent Phillips. Yeah, yeah. The the biggest thing for me, like you start to see the transition to zone more. I'm I'm so I'm so curious what because Jonathan Jones, especially in cover. By the way, was very surprised that they covered. Uh, they just cut Terrence Mitchell outright. Which yeah, I feel like Mitchell is like a passable number two he's not good but like if he's your number two you can get away with it but he's a body like the pitchers yeah. don't have a ton of those at corner right now it's it's you know a bit befuddling to me but you look at the you look at also just the personnel they bring in at linebacker and i think that kind of or at least off ball linebacker and i think that tells you a lot about what they're going to do you know Mm-hmm. you know, lighter rangier guy in Mac Wilson. You're not having, you know, Dante Hightowers and Jamie Collins who are just going to, you know, 
Hightower, for what it's worth, like absolutely lost a step, but was still an absolute force in the wrong game. It could still yeah. absolutely get downhill. I think Juwan Bentley, the vote he got for Patriots captain is a big vote of confidence for me. If only because, you know, he feels like the bridge between yes. what was the prototypical Patriots linebacker and what they're looking to now, because he still has the body type, but he's also finished, you know, 16th among linebackers in success rate allowed on passes, 10th in yards per pass allowed by, among linebackers. Like, was solid in coverage, was really solid in coverage. And I think he can, you know, he really struggled when he was forced to take on the mic roll in 2020 when the Patriots just had that mass exodus at linebacker. We're dealing with COVID opt-outs. Took a bit of a step back last year into a secondary role. I'm now looking to see, or I'm now excited to see what he does going forward. But, you know, the personnel-wise tells you that they're probably going to go more zone, which then is going to require you to generate pressure from up front. And that's another domino effect of like, you know, is Christian Barmore going to become like a three down D tackle because he, you know, wasn't stellar against the run, but he was a good pass rusher. Who's going to take the role alongside Matthew Judon? Is it going to be Dietrich Wise? Is it going to be Josh Uche? Who's going to fill in there? The personnel questions I have for the Patriots, you know, exist at all three levels of this defense. And again, it goes back to the, the biggest thing I had when writing, uh, when writing this book chapter was just, all I have are questions. I have no answers. <laughs> every like offense, defense, every side of the ball. All I have are questions, and all I need at this point is just game tape to see where it goes. A hundred percent. Well, that wraps up most of the big matchups. I, I think we were going to talk about. Is there any week one storyline narrative, maybe just something for the rest of the year that you really want to hit on before we get out of here? Briefly, I, I'm just really excited to see what this Eagles D looks like because it's, it, you know, we ha- we're we projecting them to jump from what, like 25 to fringe top five in defense. Like that's a massive leap. All the additions that they're making, I'm excited to see. <clears throat> and they get to go against America's team, the Detroit Lions to start off. So that'll be, you know, that'll be a fun game to watch. Also, just if we're talking just week one, the tale of two quarterbacks in San Francisco and Chicago I want, I'm excited to see Trey Lance in his debut. I hope the Bears trot out, you know, something decent for Justin Fields. But despite, you know, you know, situations on kind of polar opposite ends, I feel like the vibes couldn't be more different. For the, like, things seem to be, like, pretty solid in Chicago for Justin Fields right now, despite him having yeah. nothing. Like, and, the personnel sucks, but they're like, we're going to get through it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And on the flip side, you know, especially after the way the Rams looked last night, you know, I feel pretty confident in, you know, the 49ers being a potential contender in the NFC West, in the NFC period. But everything around Trey Lance is just weird. You know, they bring back Jimmy Garoppolo and then have to actively refute reports that Trey Lance was like annoyed by the situation. Trey Lance's whole offseason goal was getting captain. And the 49ers go six captains instead of seven just to not put it up to a vote for it. Like there's, there's so many little things in here that are just like, something feels really weird about this entire situation. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent with you. And I love Trey Lance. I think he's insanely talented, but it, I don't know. The vibes are very interesting. <laughs> um, and then with, with Chicago, 
all I'm hoping for that we see this week, man, especially against this front, please just protect him. Like, please just protect Justin Fields, man. Like, I think he is talented enough to pin the ball on these mediocre receivers. Just give him a shot, man. Like, give him some time. That's really all I'm hoping for. Anything. Like, I know he's hurt, but, like, what with a fully healthy roster, like, Nikhil Harris, your wide receiver three. Like, he's going to make something work on this. Like, you're giving him absolutely nothing. Please just give him protection. That's all. Give him time. That's all we can hope for. Um, all right. I, I think we've done it. This this is our first episode of the installment. Obviously, like I said, uh, everyone that is watching, the show is going to be different in future weeks. We're probably going to be breaking down um, clips, film clips from the week, and kind of trying to see what we can take from that, try to see what we can project forward. Until then, thank you all so much for watching, um, and we'll see you then. <laughs>